Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com and Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. Today's episode is called, First, You Must Walk About. I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined ably by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Oh, it's going fine. How about yourself, Spanners? Well, I have tried to expand our horizons. This was meant to be a waffle cast, just you and me going through some news, but we were lucky enough uh, that Jake caught up with Alan McNish at Autosport. So, Alan McNish, an actual F1 driver, is on our podcast today. That is fantastic. He is one of my favorites, although I know him more for his World Endurance Championship driving. And, of course, he announces often on 5 Live, which I listen to throughout all of the races. So I was very excited to hear that we got this interview. I know. And Jake passed that on to uh, to Mr. McNish, so he knows how much of a fanboy you are now. Now, a lot of podcasts, they would they would have this um, this interview. And obviously, for our regular listeners, it doesn't matter to them whether we play it now or at the end. But some people will have just found this by clicking through, wanting to listen to Alan McNish talking. So some podcasts would put that at the end and then waffle on for half an hour, hoping that everyone would fall in love with them. Yeah, I think that's personally a D asterisk 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 kind of move. So I was sort of <laughs> delighted to see that, that we'd made the executive decision to just get right to the fun stuff. Yes, we will. We will contrast that slightly before we go to that interview uh, by comparing it to what Jack Villeneuve said about the future of F1. And then we'll have a 17-minute interview that Jake did at Autosport just this morning, actually. Uh, so, yeah, we'll do that. So we'll do that. And uh, if you think you, you like the cut of our jib, if you like the way the interview went down, then do please subscribe to Mr. Apex Podcast on your podcatcher, or you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Spanners Ready, and you will catch the live stream when we go live. Speaking of live streams, Matt, we have expanded slightly. So we've gone from just YouTube to now YouTube and on Twitch, 
and we just had an aborted attempt, but we will in future be going at the same time to the Downforce Radio Facebook Live page. Yes, well, expansion like that typically happens after the holidays as a result of eating too many sweets, I think. Right, if you could not look directly at me when you say that, that'd be super. (laughs) You're the only other person. I have no choice. Believe me, if I had a choice, I'd be looking elsewhere. Okay, so apart from that, we are also going to stream on my old YouTube Ustream channel because some people are still subscribed there. Uh, and I think we're also going to go on Periscope um, if I can ever figure out the settings. That will put it live on Twitter. So look, that's what we're doing with the live stream. By the time the F1 season starts, we might well have figured it out. So this week, it's just me and Matt on here for a waffle cast, which is what we tend to do when there's no race, when it's the off season, when there's nothing particularly breaking. Normally, we have a panel of four or five guys on. We'll do a race review in the evening of a race so that you'll have it ready for your Monday morning commute. We also have Matt Summerfield, Summers F1. He comes on and joins us for tech shows in which he and Matt Trumpets try to make F1 tech easier to understand. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersRadio.com. We are also, in addition to my feed, on the Downforce Radio feed. We aim to bring you your race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. No naughty words. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play with this with kids in the background or at work. And do please join us on the live stream where we have a chat room. So hello to the chat room the chat room are entertaining themselves already making comments about you why is there a comment about my face straight away i don't know who did that horrible i like the internet is a horrible place okay so very soon then we will go to the alan mcnish interview but first matt why don't you tell me what has jack villeneuve said this time all i saw was a headline which is normally misleading saying uh jack villeneuve says f1 made a mistake listening to the fans yeah well in essence, I could go look up the exact quote, um, but I had actually buried this pretty far down because in a weird way, I sort of agree with him. But basically, he said that the, the mistake Formula One has made in listening to the fans is that it brought them to DRS because the fans said they wanted more overtakes. And now he says overtaking requires no skill whatsoever. And it's really, really boring. And he contrasted it to your favorite sport, MotoGP. Where writers will work and work and work to make that pass happen, and everybody finds it all very exciting. But I think his larger point is, and this is a true point, that the moment you start taking into account what people in the moment say they want, you stop having something that's a sporting contest, and you start turning it into an entertainment. And if you look at the, if you look at what Formula One has done. Back in 2008, 2009, they had the uh, technical working group on overtaking with Patty Lowe, and they had sorted it out with the design to get the cars down to about a second, second and a half apart before the driver had to make the difference and get past. But then they almost immediately went to DRS. They didn't really give it time, and they didn't implement all of the suggestions. So it's that thing where things are changing faster than you can find out if they actually work. In other words, the argument is if Formula One went back to being a sport for drivers and racers, the drama would be created and the fans would come naturally. As it is, F1 is artificially turning into more and more of an entertainment in an attempt to draw more eyeballs. They've lost their way and their focus on what they think is important. Speaking of eyeballs, Paul Wright in the chat room suggests that we're actually clashing with Sherlock tonight. 
and that might explain uh, why we might not get the potential live stream uh, that we might otherwise expect. You, you know, that's funny because I hear Bernard Cumberbatch actually watches our show. <laughs> I, hey, right, okay, no more mention of the live stream because uh, Ellis in there yeah. has said, oh, oh crap, forgot about Sherlock, and I think he's off. Anyway, go enjoy that. Uh, you're lost. Catch up with us on your Monday morning commute. I will take some issue with what uh, Jack Villeneuve is saying there about once you start changing it, it becomes artificial. Because, okay, fair enough, in football, it's like that. Football is pretty much hasn't changed in the last 70 or 80 years. You can tweak it, you can do this, but it's always going to be you kick a round object around a field. Unless we get, you know, players, you know, growing extra legs, fundamentally you don't need to change it that much. But with Formula One, the technology is always evolving. You can't say we've got to keep the sport the same because it's not the same sport as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Well, I think think his point would be if you wish to extend the analogy to football which is actually soccer the analogy would be the fans complaining that not enough goals are scored so you just double the size of the goal well you could say that but then again you can have one season in formula one where it's much easier to overtake then you suddenly bring in a new set of tech regulations and it's either very hard or very easy you've then got to make changes to adjust around it you can't make one set of rules in formula one and just assume it's gonna fit every era right but i think i think his point was Rather than say, what do we need to make the sport work? He's saying, what do we need to entertain? Formula One is asking itself the question, what do we need to do to entertain the fans? Rather than what do we need to do to make the sport good? Aren't they the same? One half dozen, the other. Did he say anything else crazy? Or was that about it? Nah, I mean, he probably did. Honestly, I didn't. I, that was pretty far down on my list of news that I wanted to talk about. So I didn't no, I just wanted to get that the contrast of somebody who is very, very vocal uh, and uh, often on the extremes to someone you know who's very, very likable. So without further ado, then uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Autosport International, which I was at, and cover uh, some other news from Formula One. Uh, but enjoy this. This is Jake Sanson interviewing Alan McNish. And uh, Jake's a brilliant commentator. Jake's a brilliant interviewer. Not so much with the tech. Uh, I have rescued it as best as I can. The the, the (laughs) microphone was pointing directly at Alan and completely away from him. So don't worry. Alan does most of the speaking. Uh, The Jake audio may be a touch sketchy. This is Downforce Radio. We have one of the voices of BBC Five Live's Formula One coverage and former driver for Toyota and Renault Formula One test driver as well. Alan McNish is with us at the show. Alan, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, And uh, I must say, the only Scottish voice on the podcast and and Five Live. Uh, But yeah, it's a... It's nice to be back here at the Autosport Show. It's also nice to see the enthusiasm for the new season. There's so many fans there and they're talking about it and they're bubbling about the new Formula One season with the regulation changes, which are quite sweeping. Uh, some people have got the opinion that they're evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. But uh, ultimately, whatever it is, it should shake things up a little bit because after three years of domination... I think we'd all be quite happy if uh, there was not necessarily a new order, but there was maybe a little bit more consistent competition for the guys from Brackley. Do you think that's going to happen this year? Red Bull will push it to that level? Yeah, I think the Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari, I think, is a bit of a longer shot. I hope Ferrari are up there because we need Ferrari there. We need to have the prancing horse prancing as opposed to walking like a Blackpool donkey at times, as it was. <laughs> and we that's something that... Uh, 
is obviously under a bit of scrutiny in Italy as well, and they do like to scrutinise their own national teams, don't they? And even though Ferrari is a private organisation, it's a national team as far as they're, they're concerned. I think that Red Bull have got the capability to do it, because any time there's a regulation change like that, then Red Bull can roll the dice sometimes, but more they're quite agile in their mentality and their thinking. But uh, another aspect to it is that uh, they're gung-ho, and with that gung-ho attitude, I think they'll go in, and if they don't have it right straight away, they react, and they can react quicker than any other team on the grid. And that reaction is something that will stand them in good stead in, in 2017 and onwards. The other teams in the middle of the grid, you know, we saw Williams leapfrog at the last regulation change and get themselves up into third place in the constructors title. I think that'll be tough to achieve again. But uh, they've been working on their 2017 car for quite a long time because they know that any gain they can have there will run into 18 and 19 as opposed to uh, the effort going into the end of 16 which would only be for a six-month period and a short-term gain. So from their perspective, they've looked at the long-term possibilities and obviously we're waiting to see if Paddy Lowe actually does turn up after uh, enjoying do- doing his geraniums and his grass and pruning his roses and things and his gardening leave if he does turn up in Grove. I love the term gardening leave. It's such an amazing way of describing it. Right, let's talk about... The fastest garden cut I would think in the world, if it is. Indeed. Let's talk about the questions that uh, the Mist Apex listeners and uh, hosts have given you. First is from uh, Matt Trumpets, our American uh, presenter Mm -hmm. on the show. He'd like to know that uh, even from New York, he seeks out the Five Live coverage to listen to you. He's a huge fanboy. Huge fanboy. He asks, from a racing driver's point of view, what's the biggest thing that we ordinary folk miss relative to everyday driving. So, in other words, what would catch most people out? Because it's just done differently. Well, in terms of driving, I think, is the reaction. The reaction of everything. In a road car, you've got uh, effectively systems in between. So, for example, when you turn the steering, you've got the power steering systems and the ratio, the speed, that when you turn the steering 90 degrees, the wheels turn at a much lesser rate. And so it's slowed down. When you press the brake pedal, even if you jump on it for an emergency stop, then there's servo assistance in there, which then means that the reaction is slightly slower than it would be. In a racing car, everything's one-to-one. So if you turn the steering aggressively, it reacts aggressively. You hit the brake aggressively. Even if you lift off the throttle in the middle of the straight at 200 miles an hour, then it feels like a parachute coming out the back of your car. And... That then relates to the other differences, the forces on the body, and that's something that simulation and simulators can't achieve. You know, you've got probably one G of lateral force in a supercar, in a road car, going around a racing circuit, then multiply that by the odd times of five, and then you've got a Formula One car. And so that's the the thing where you're literally holding your breath through high-speed corners uh, to make sure your lungs don't just flop around to the other side of your ribcage. And so that's uh, that sensation is probably the biggest thing. And in terms of just the reaction of everything the car does, it's on its toes all the time, which makes it a racing car. That's fantastic. I love the way you describe it. I hope that answers the question well for Matt. He also would like to put you in charge of Formula One for 60 seconds. What's the one thing you change in the car? Well, first of all, I get Tunnock's tea cakes into the canteen and a decent (laughs) cup of tea. There we go. And the rest of it, after you've had a good cup of tea and everybody have their meeting around about the tea and coffee machine, then I think you would have a lot more logic. What is it about the Scots who are racing drivers? I mean, they just have an incredible 
wealth and catalogue of drivers from Scotland. We just seem to have a natural knack for it. I mean, we talk about the great Brits in motor racing history, but most of those are actually Scottish if you look back through the years. I mean, you look at Jim Clark, yeah. Jackie Stewart, Gary O'Frank, yeah. yourself. I think there's two main points. One is that uh, we're from a small country, and it's a little bit like Finland in rallying and also in car racing as well. So therefore, we tend to look out for each other. And we know, literally, physically know, because he probably lives next door, <laughs> the next guy that's coming through. And, uh, you know, we support each other. And that's something that uh, has been a big, big factor. And the other thing is that in we've had somebody to follow. You mentioned Jim Clark. But prior to Jim Clark, the first Scot ever to win a Formula One Grand Prix was won at Watkins Glen by Ennis Ireland. Ennis Ireland came from Kirkubri. Kirkubri is 29 miles from where I am from. It's seven miles. In fact, David Coulthard went to school in Kirkubri. Uh, but then Innes was there. You had Jim Clark, who everybody knows. Jackie followed Jim. Then after that, there was a bit of a gap. And then with David Leslie coming through in the junior career. And David was also from Dumfries. And so Jackie would be making a few phone calls. Ah, watch out for this wee guy in McNish. He's another wee Scott. Have a wee eye on him. David Leslie ran my karting first car also my first formula ford he did exactly the same for david colthard he did exactly the same for dario franchiti so in that side of things there's always support behind it whether it be picking up the phone whether it be introductions whatever it may be but it's generally i would have said that it's a it's like a wee family and i think that's a big big factor the other thing is that when you travel maybe seven hours down on a saturday morning to go to brands hatch or in the case of Lewis Williamson, who you probably heard of, he's making his name in LMP2 now, from Inverness, which is another six hours north from me. So, you know, if you look at him, he would like a 12, 13 hour trip to go to Brands Hatch. You want to come home on the Sunday night with a trophy. Because that is a long drive, complaining about what happened. So there's a determination in there as well, and I think that is a, a factor. It's funny you talk about that. We had a member on our staff, John Monroe, who's been racing in the uh, Mazda, Max Champion. Yeah. He won the series, but he's based in Tame. So he's two and a half hours north of Knock Hill. So, you know, for him, it's almost even worse than Inverness. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, Spanner's ready. He asks, if you were asked to form the presenting and commentary team for F1 coverage, apart from your current colleagues, who would you have calling and presenting for this coverage? If I'm to throw it out there, I would say Pat Simmons would be a very good addition. Pat uh, has retired from Williams. And uh, I've known Pat since the early 90s, since I was a uh, third driver and testing at Benetton. And has got such a depth of experience and width of experience, I would uh, think Pat would bring an added dynamic to the program. I think JB is, Jensen Button I'm talking about here, is perfect for talking. I think everyone wants <laughs> to do it. But, uh, you know, the thing that you've got to do and this is what I try to remember in whatever I do. You've got to enjoy it. And so, therefore, the, the main thing is is bringing a team together that actually like it as a team. They are not trying to tread in each other's toes, not necessarily. They've got to be, everybody's got to be ambitious. Even in this situation, they've got to be ambitious. Jack, for example, who's uh, leading the commentary, is young and enthusiastic and ambitious. And that's brilliant because we're in a very competitive and ambitious environment. And uh, we've got to have that, but we've also got to have that balance that uh, we've got to remember that we are part of Radio 5 Live, which is a sports programme introducing cricket, introducing football, introducing this. I know more about Scottish football now from actually being on the show 
you know, and we're off to Petodre. And it, it's brilliant. So you've got, it's got a fantastic situation there, but, uh, ultimately, yeah, just as a name, and it's difficult, but as a name off the top of my head, I think Pat Simmons would be a great addition. It's cool, actually. And then if Jack Nichols ever calls a sickie, I need mean the producer's number. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Self-promotion. Vortex Motio uh, asks, given the new tyres and cars this season, which drivers are likely to have an advantage and who may be disadvantaged compared to last year? It's a good one. Well, if the degradation of the tyre is less, which it appears to be, that's a suggestion at the moment from Pirelli, then I would say Nico Hülkenberg will gain out of that, because in comparison to Sergio Perez, probably the area where Sergio was a little bit better was on the last few laps of degradation. And uh, his driving style was extremely smooth on the throttle application, and he had a feel for it there. And sometimes, you know, you can say drivers could learn that, but it's in your natural driving style. And uh, it's difficult if someone naturally does something then to try to always replicate it. So I would say that would probably help Nico a little bit. I think from a car perspective, then uh, right now I would say Red Bull. Because when you've got a regulation change that's aerodynamically principally led, and the tyre is basically the aero loads the tyre. And so it's the aero working in conjunction with the tyre. Then, uh, and well, the whole car, to be honest, loading the tyre. Then I would put Red Bull down as uh, probably the one that I would think could react and also build a good car and then take it forward from there. Who's going to really be hampered by this? Who's really going to get? It, it teams with no money. Teams with no money and teams that were uh, pushing late in their development in 2016 because uh, then they're behind the eight ball before they start. Now, a lot of people said that they switched over early, but uh, ultimately then that is going to be the key point. I think Force India, if they can maintain anything like the performance, will have done a very good job. Uh, Williams stopped early and went to 17 car because that they felt that uh, that was going to have a longer lifespan than necessarily uh, just focusing on the end of 16. McLaren's the little bit unknown. They're talking quite bullish. Uh, personally, if they come up with 80% of what they're talking about, then they should be in a beneficial situation. But they've got to, you know, have a car that works as a package, not just as one part of it. It's, I know we're pressed for time, but there's some really good questions that we're not going to get to ask, unfortunately. But the two that are, I think, are really good, good ones. The first one, Ryan Ferris wants to know, do you think the halo and the equivalent solutions are over the top? Right, Ryan. If you go into BBC uk and search Halo McNish, you'll see something that I wrote there a couple of years ago. And basically, my viewpoint is this, that not necessarily the Halo, but a safety device around about the head is a positive thing. I, I'm saying not necessarily the Halo, but the Halo is the one that is proposed at the moment. It's the most advanced in its development, is a benefit. Um, and... I don't see that we can sort of look back and think of it as a negative. I don't think it's an overreaction. Uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion in Australia last year when Alonso uh, had his big barrel roll at turn three, saying, well, crikey me, he might never have got out. I would much prefer to have the marshals and safety crews lifting me out of a car and doing it in a correct timescale, because I'm not getting back in the race, and then taking a hail or, or a structure off than having my head whacked against a tyre wall, uh, which was so close for Fernando. So from my perspective, you know, we're looking at it from an aesthetic point of view, and purely aesthetic. And yes, they need to work on this. I don't think the halo is attractive. It's not. It's pretty blooming ugly. 
but uh, it's the principle of head development, uh, sorry, head safety development is the thing. Because when I was a young kid, it was people breaking their legs, it was shattered you know, pelvises, it was... It wasn't very often head injuries, but now the safety of the car is so strong and good that all that energy is going up into the head, and it's all head injuries. And I've had very, very good friends of mine injured and killed and stopping racing because of head injuries. So I'm quite emotional about it, but I do think that we need to move forward with it. There needs to be an element, and I appreciate this, and I think it's right, of uh, risk, because drivers do take risks to do it, and happy to do it. But uh, I I think that uh, just to dismiss it because it's ugly, that's a bit narrow-minded. No, it's a very good point you make. Okay, one final question. Uh, we're here at the Autosport Show celebrating 40 years of Williams. Mm. So good to end on a Williams-based question. Uh, Fortis wants to know, uh, how well do you think Stroll can do from day one, given the preparation he's had? And is there a more likely, a more... An interesting alternative, a more obvious alternative to Felipe Massa as a partner to him. Let's say Felipe decided, for whatever reason they say he's not let's see. Who would you put in? Well, I think one of the problems they have regarding Felipe is not Felipe. Felipe is an easy plug and play. He's known, he's good in the team, he works well with the team. Performance is not at the best part of his career. We know that. They know that. However, he works well with the sponsors. And Martini have an issue that, and there are other drinks available, Martini have an issue that uh, they can't promote a very young driver. Yeah. So hence the reason there is a, a certain requirement there. And without Martini, they wouldn't be as competitive on the grid. So there's this difficult sort of balancing act. And that's always the case for teams in that mid-grid area. Yes, there are alternatives to um, Felipe, but not necessarily at the timescale that was available to them, uh, not ones that I think... He, you know, the obvious one people think about is Jensen Button, but Jensen mentally had retired. Yeah. And so, well, so had Felipe, actually, to be honest yeah. with you, in that particular point. Um, but to go into that, it, it was a much easier position for them to put Felipe in. I don't think it was the brave decision. and that I would personally have looked at other options, but it was the decision that they made. With regard to Lance, if you are good enough, doesn't matter your age. Big believer in that. Big believer in youth, actually. And uh, he's won in all of his junior categories. Yes, he's had support, but he still had to deliver. And he still delivered in difficult races as well. Um, it's going to be a big step up for him. And he will not match Felipe on every occasion. Um, but that's part of the development process. And, you know, Max didn't match uh, Daniel all the time, but Max is seen as a star for the future. So I'm keen to see how he gets on because he's more than just what people state a lot of the time. He's not just a pay driver. The kid actually can drive. And uh, so from that perspective, then uh, I think he deserves his chance and let's see how he, how the season fares out for them. It's great to talk to you. I mean, we could be here for hours and hours with you, Alan. Oh, we need a cup of tea and some tunnocks for that. <laughs> we'll sort that up for next time. Alan, thank you so much for talking to Miss Apex, and uh, we'll catch up with you again in the future. Look forward to it. This is Downforce Radio. Hey, Matt, what did you make of that? Good of Jake to manage to get that on our behalf. Yes, it was. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to his answers, particularly about uh, his descriptions of the differences in driving, because... Well, you know, why it came to me is because I used to race bicycles, 
You've never mentioned it. Why suddenly now? And and there are certain things about riding a bicycle in a race that are entirely different to people who just simply ride a bicycle around town. And I was just curious from someone who's driven as many different cars in as many different ways as he has, what he felt that like the one thing. And so, yeah, it was really fascinating to hear that. Yeah. So we do. We hear that quite a lot, that it's just the sheer, the sheer force on your body. But I mean, I'm wondering, you know, would you physically be able to operate it? Like, would you get caught out if you got stuck now in a Formula Renault or a Formula 3 car? Could, could you get in and, and physically get that thing going and round the track? You know, if Richard Hammond could do it, probably you could with some coaching, (laughs) you know, is 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 my general thought. Although he had he had quite the time uh, dealing with that. I had a bit of coaching uh, last weekend. Uh, Jealous much. I went down to simply race and over my shoulder uh, showing me how to get around the track was none other than Bradley Philpott, race of champions star. How jealous are you on a scale of one to ten? I'm actually, I, I am jealous, but also glad my new nickname isn't Billy Thumbs. Oh, man. Okay. There was a downside. I didn't, I didn't think he would be <laughs> tweeting, live tweeting my errors and my incorrect <laughs> thumb position. But, you know, it's the little things like that that you don't realize. So I'm driving along. My little Peugeot 2008 has got little thumb depresses uh, in the steering wheel for you to comfortably left rest your thumbs on as you piddle around the shops and the motorway. And, you know, and he's over my shoulder saying, no, you don't want to do that. You want to get your thumbs really into the steering wheel, into that nook, because it helps you like really pull it down into the corners. Yeah. And and I, I given the forces that McNish was talking about, I would completely understand why and why you'd want to be very firmly belted into that vehicle before you even tried to drive around a corner because the forces acting on you are, are easily five five to seven times as much as you would have ever experienced, you know, driving to and from work. Unless you're like me and you've spun your car at speed before on a major highway. Chat room is asking, do pro bikers put cream on their particulars? I'm assuming they do. Uh, if you if you are prone to or get saddle sores, then yes, one does this. It was not an issue for me when I rode. On the gas in the chat room says, Spanners, cool, I'm jealous. Good, I need to feed on your jealousy. I can feel it from Matt, really. He is jealous. Uh, good afternoon to you as well, Matthew Graff. Uh, nice to see the guys in the chat room. Uh, yeah, they're saying that they picked the wrong Felipe uh, Williams. We'll get to that in just a second. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the Sims. So even little things like shifting down. Uh, he, he was over my shoulder. I was getting to a corner, breaking loads, getting to like the apex and then thinking, should probably be in third. All right, get in third and toodle off because that's vaguely what you would do certainly that's what i was taught to do when you're road driving is brake 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 clutch pick your gear and he's like well actually yeah you don't want an engine brake in your car because you would you know maybe damage your engine long term but you want to actually use the engine as a brake and had he not been over my shoulder it wouldn't really have occurred to me to be matching the gears on the way down to slow the car down faster and as soon as i did you know that took seconds off the lap Wow, that that's interesting, and, and that's a challenging thing to do when you're moving that fast. Well, it is, but he sort of gave me a bit of a cheat. He just gave me a rhythm that that particular model of car could do. So for this sim tournament we're doing on the 5th, that's fine. I now know the rhythm to change down to because he's given me the cheat sheet. Put me in a real racing car, I wouldn't have a clue how to, you know, mesh and synchronize the, the gears as I was braking to match the speed. Uh, yeah, so very, very interesting. And that was him just over my shoulder for half an hour. You know, it took many, many seconds off. So I'll have to see if I can persuade him to do it again. Uh, moving on. Interesting, wasn't it, to see uh, what I'd always suspected 
which is that there is a Scottish mafia where they all help each other get further because there there is a disproportionately large amount of Scottish weathermen, Scottish children presenters, Scottish racing drivers. I knew it. I knew they were like a club. Absolutely. And networks are the way to go. We have extensive social science research, which demonstrates that's the way to get ahead in the world. And the fact that there is a network of highly competent and well, well-received drivers for, for youngsters to draw on in a small enough community where you would actually know them personally. Because this is the thing, let's face it, as you get famous, you tend to get trapped into that little celebrity bubble where you only move around with people who are around your same level of fame or greater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Such a drag. It happens to me all the time when I'm on the subway, in fact. Um, But when you go back and live in a local community, there's someone whose knowledge and experience and connections you can draw on. And if you have talent, it will be recognized and they will do what they can for you. And with people like Claire Williams and uh, Manisha Clontenborn, you know, that you can see that kind of community of, of ladies building up as well, you know, over the next couple of decades. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure. I think Claire is really trying very hard to build networks in Formula One. She's part of the Dare to be Different organization that Susie Wolf is a part of, Ruth Buscom is a part of, and that a lot of women who have reached sort of um, a a mid or upper level in Formula One are both on the engineering and the press side as well as on the management side Uh, and drivers, too. There's a lot of women drivers who are a part of this. And I think it, it is an explicit attempt to leverage that for women just starting to come into the sport and, and, and bring them up to the level of support and knowledge that the men gain automatically. Blackout 19. Oh, hello. Two-time winner of Missed Apex comment of the week. Had to go and update his Twitter profile for us. Appreciated. He says that current F1 doesn't really use engine braking either. This is to save fuel and engine life. So I'm already prepped for the Merc seat. Uh, presumably they won't. Uh, obviously they'll, they'll forego the formalities of the lower formulas and put me straight in the Mercedes seat. Um, the other, the other top job I would want, obviously, is, is presenting somewhere within F1 media. And I, and I'm hurt that I didn't make his presenting dream team. Hurt, Matt. Yes. Well, you've, how many races have you commented on? Uh, five. It was all in one meeting and they were all bad. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I, I have mixed feelings about Pat Simmons. He's really good at communicating a lot about Formula One, and he has extensive knowledge. But it, the Singapore thing for me is always just like, ugh, ugh, you know, just a little hard to get over. I don't know how you feel about that. Sorry, can you just say it again? I just blanked out on what you were saying. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Singapore thing for me. Oh, Simmons, right, yeah. Like okay. when I've seen him, yeah. when I've seen him talk, he's so he's he's very succinct, and he has he really does have the ability to take complicated. Um, ideas and put them into everyday language in a way which your average viewer would be able to appreciate. However, there's a, a cloud. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know enough about the details of that to comment, but certainly I suppose from a commercial point of view, if that's going to follow him around, then, you know, perhaps that's a consideration to putting him on a, an actual team. Yeah. But uh, if you were evaluating strictly in terms of his communication abilities, yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd, I'd love to hear his thoughts more often. Okay, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, yeah, he said the obvious about Massa. Yeah, wouldn't glad to see him say he wouldn't have chosen him either. I know you say that you want a point of comparison, but there comes a point where surely a terrible point of comparison is going to be worse than no point of comparison at all. I'm not saying he's necessarily there, but that's not the only reason to keep a driver. If you were an engineer, you would not feel that way. Well, I am an engineer. Then you should not feel that way because... The the problem is especially now if now Stroll has done a lot of miles and older Williams cars, so there's going to be some data they're going to be able to transfer over. But with with Botas, everyone pretty much admitting it going to Mercedes. I, I heard the 23rd might be the official announcement, but that that could be wrong. It, with 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 Botas gone and Massa gone, you have no reference between your 2017 and your 2016 cars. You have no point of similarity because the arrow is so different. And let us not forget, Williams was reduced to the abject humiliation of having to revert to their original specification for 2017 more than halfway through the season. They had so little clue what was happening with your car. Imagine if you didn't even have the same driver. You have no idea what's causing it. Is it the driver? Is it the new nose? Is it the new wing? Is it the suspension settings? You don't have anything. No, I understand. You're, you're, you're they, trying to fault find. They can find. set the car yeah. up you, well, and you, run you, it you, out you, on track and know that the driver input part of it is the same. Well, yeah. So you're, you're saying for fault finding, you need a point of reference and change as few parts as possible. But there comes, there comes a point, especially with degrading faults. For example, if you, you are questioning my engineering criteria, but that there are degrading faults, that there are faults that you can only track over time because they're intermittent. And then your original sources, uh, your, your so-called rocks of dependency do degrade in performance. And that throws off fault finding. And if Massa is towards the end of his ability, which many, many people think he is, you don't know how close in ability the 2017 Massa is to 2016. And every year afterwards, you know, that's going to be an exponential decrease in his in his talent and ability. So really, I think when you get to the point where you could see on track, you could see in his performance that he really wasn't a top flight F1 driver anymore, I really do question the value of just having him as a constant barometer. I mean, surely they've got other consistent points of data Surely they've had, you know, test drivers in there. Could they not have kept their reserve driver? I think, um, 
I think keeping Massa in there, the justification for keeping him in there is is very, very slim. Uh, by the way, the chat room is calling you out and saying Matt is wrong about Simmons and we're not really sure what role he did have. Um, no, except for he was banned for how many years? He was suspended as a result of his role in it. That's what we know. That's fair enough. And also they're saying there's no reference between 2016 and 2017 cars anyway. Not sure I see the advantage of Massa unretiring versus NASA. It, very interesting. We'll bring it up on another panel, Matt, and we'll see. Um, maybe I'll do a Twitter poll, see if that'll work. I usually get at least three or four people answering those. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Summers, Scarbs, these would be interesting people to talk to about this. But but my understanding of it is that that it's a real issue when you make changes on the car if you've also changed the driver, because how the driver interacts with the car is a huge part of the information they take away from testing sessions. Well, I think we could argue about that all day. Um, what about the halo? Were you interested in what he said with that? He was very pro-halo. I'm, I'm pro-halo in that I'm not against it. And the aesthetic point was brilliant because don't all F1 cars look horrible in new eras until about race three and then you go, oh, that's just an F1 car now. Now, see, this is interesting, perhaps because I listened more closely to his words. I did not hear him <laughs> being pro-Halo at all. No, but what he was saying was you cannot be anti-Halo just because it looks rubbish and he was pro, you know, he was pro-head protection. And Thanks. yeah, okay, so the Halo is... Uh, you know, one of the bulkier, clumsier looking ones, but any of any head protection is going to have the same issues, going to have the same general aesthetic. It's going to have the same issues of taking away risk. It's going to have the same issues of covering the head. Right. Well, it's not just about covering the head. And, and this is a, an, an issue that I've, I've looked at in depth a little bit. Part of the problem uh, and what he specifically said was the halo was the most developed and, and he's correct about that. But the halo was developed to prevent large objects from impacting the driver on track primarily. This would be like a, this would be the classic. The tire comes off and hits somebody else at high speed. And, and we saw that in, um, you know, several years ago, but not in Formula One. The, the problem is a lot of the concussions that people are receiving, at least in Formula One, uh, come from side impacts where human beings are particularly vulnerable to high lateral g-forces and sudden accelerations of the brain that direction and the halo does nothing to help with that so his call for better head protection is correct because that's where we see more and more injuries that are not uh, life-altering well they're life-altering but not life-ending and and that's an area that needs a lot of research and he's right too in terms of being extricated from the car if you if these days if you wreck a car like that your race is over it's done so it doesn't matter and there's a much less chance of fire but the chance of fire is not entirely gone and we saw uh, a doozy in the pit lane this summer if i recall correctly and what we do know about the halo is that at least we've heard uh, from people who reported on the medical conference at the end of the year that the extraction time will be expanded from five to seven seconds in terms of officially how long it's allowed to take you to get out of a Formula One car with a halo mounted. The other problem with the halo is that you can only run the car for about three laps before it overheats because it interferes uh, with the flow of air into the air box. This is kind of a larger problem and may wind up ultimately be what delays and or denies it or causes it to morph into something else. And it may not be till 2020 that we really see a solution like that. 
Uh, Ellis, usefully in the chat room, is suggesting that lasers on the circuit that destroy flying debris as soon as it's created could solve that problem. Actually, do you know what? That's not too daft. If you wanna, if you wanna go out to like a two hundred years time predict- prediction, like I know for sure there is current work going on for forced energy uh, applications. When you talk about forced energy weapons, we're, we're talking laser beams, laser beams on sharks. Um, so and you know, and we ha- already have the radar type technology and the um, Hawkeye type technology to pick up bits of debris. So it's actually not inconceivable. Uh, I think we should go- just wait for that, Matt. Yeah, well, it would certainly make the races a lot more fun to watch, wouldn't it? And like in Formula E, the fans could vote uh, on on a car to to weaponize it. Okay, you had us for a moment, Ellis. Uh, now you've now you've lost us again, uh, Matt. Do you want to find out how my attempts to be a roving reporter for the second time went? I would be delighted to hear about that. Tell us about your experiences. No prizes for guessing that it was a total bust and I failed as a roving reporter to the point I think I'm going to call an early death to my potential roving reporter journalistic career, Matt. I cannot be the guy to get up in people's faces. I cannot be the guy to uh, bother media personnel. I'm just, I don't have the personality. As much as I can be a pain in the ass in your life, I just, I don't have the... There's some, there's too much of an embarrassment gene in me and I cannot turn it off. And I think to be like the Keith Chegwin types, the, the Ted Kravitz types, the on the spot guy, unless you've got the real authority to do it, like you're some kind of well known celebrity, I, I find the whole thing cringeworthy and terrible. Uh, are you sure it's not in your social upbringing, in your genes? I mean, you, you do have sort of a famous UK reserve about you. Ah, maybe, maybe. So maybe I need to be much less British. Uh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, maybe. I mean, even to the point where, like, uh, last time I did it at a Formula V event, I was, you know, a few meters away from Nico Prost with a recording device. And I just, I just didn't want to bother him. And, and, you know, he's looking at me fully expecting me to. And, you know, I wasn't that bad this time, but I tell you what did happen is I went and approached Pirelli. And on the off chance I could get a word about the new tyres because the new tyres were there, the stands were there. Um, I, I sent you some pictures of the new wet weather tyres, uh, the new Inters. So I approached the desk and said, look, I'm from, you know, Downforce Radio, Miss Apex Podcast. Is there anyone who could have a word? And the guy was, uh, his English wasn't his first language. He misunderstood. He thought I was a punter trying to just, you know, ask someone some questions. Then they came down mob-handed. I asked the question and they shot me down immediately saying they couldn't speak to press. And that crushed me. It was, I, I can't take that kind of knockback. And they were all a bit, you know, mocking and condescending. And I was, I was like, I don't have the skin for this. I need to go back to the shed where I control everything and I have all the buttons. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a bit of a uh, fragile ego there, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. But, um, you know, Chris Stevens was there. He does a lot of work for Formula Spy, just been taken on as an autosport junior. And he's saying, you know, it's the press guy's job to... To, to bother and irritate press officers, to bother and irritate event organizers. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't feel like I quite have it. I don't feel like that's me. Hey, but there was definitely, um, stuff to see at Autosport. So I was very grateful for the chance to, you know, get in on a media pass and, and go and see the live events and go and see something called the Williams Experience. Ooh, what was the Williams experience? Was it just getting in a car and then having no, re- no idea why everyone was faster than you? Have you ever been to, well, I would call it a northern museum. 
but like a living museum where you go in there and they have like some drama artists uh and some like theater student people who are like acting out the <laughs> the tale yeah i have i'm sorry i just i just saw paul wright ask the question of you at pirelli were you wearing a goodyear t-shirt <laughs> was that no but the fact i think i was i had a mic and i had a press pass so the guy obviously misunderstood who i was asking for and they came all the way down mob handed just to tell me no and i was i was very i don't take rejection well uh, well this is again if you're going to talk to people you're going to get that kind of response from time to time but you know that's kind of i mean if you think about it that would be like feeling bad for for bothering your waiter when you order dinner. It's kind of their job, my friend. <laughs> all I'm saying is, in all seriousness, I probably will have a go at it again. And and you learn about these things. You you learn how to approach people, and that it's okay, and you're not doing anything bad. Um, but it is definitely a skill set within itself. So when you see these guys, you know, running around getting interviews from people, and you think, you know, it's something anyone could do. I don't I don't think so. I think it's a it's a real it's a real skill. Well, it's a skill. It's a skill that you can learn, but but you have to come to terms and be okay with making with potentially making people very uncomfortable with your questions. Okay, so living museum, Matt, have you seen such things? Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. So basically, the Williams were celebrating their forty years in in Formula One. Obviously, they started with Patrick Head and Frank Williams in a garage. So and so, this is what I learned. They were in an ex carpet uh, village. So they make you put on a Williams boiler suit. So you have to put your Williams boiler suit over your your shirt and tie, and uh, and then you go in there, and then there's three actors pretending to be you know pit crew from the seventies and acting things out, pretending that you're the raw recruit. And uh, it was all very sort of enthusiastic. But you're like saying. Oh, sorry, the chat room's distracting me. Surprising that Spanners doesn't take rejection well, despite being married. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. You don't see the tears, my friend. You don't see the tears. Um, yeah. So they had, you know, and then one mechanic would come out and go, hey, Frank's asking for us. Is the such and such ready yet? And then they're like going, hey, you new recruits need to shape up because, you know, we're out there competing in Formula One. Yeah. And then you had to feel like part of the team. And then you got, got basically then shuffled off with some headphones to go and watch Williams videos for 20 minutes, which is fine. But all the way through it, they had, um, you were moving through these rooms where they had projected these projected videos on the walls. As you were moving through it, they had these three guys dressed up as pit crew, but doing, you know, like interpretive, you know, dance. And you know the thing where like someone's crouched down and then they stand up very slowly and then the last thing they do is raise their head dramatically and there's lots of yeah. shoulder thrusting. And you could tell these were like budding young actors because they couldn't you could because they couldn't see their face every part of them had to act they were like acting with their little fingers acting with their toes and and it was it was fascinating fascinating stuff to watch uh it, you know it's good of williams to put something like that on uh but yeah the the amdram uh, was at times jarring yeah well that 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 uh, i left kind of speechless that <laughs> they would have spent that much it. money on that sort of a thing but i you know i've never been to uh, the show before so maybe this is different or or part of the course. For, no, for, do you know what it different. seemed? It seemed actually very out of out of place of the whole thing. And actually, because that was the first thing I did, uh, I went in there, I did that, and I kind of I had the feeling that Autosport, I've never been before, was going to be much more of a a show, much more like things to attend. Um, but there wasn't actually. I mean, I was there for one of the trade days. There wasn't actually, you know, a lot going on as it were you were just you know you basically left your own devices to go and, and see see the stores and i'm not really like an out and out 
petrol head, petrol head. So I didn't quite get the same, you know, thrillers like Ryan, who's going, oh yeah, look there, there's the turbo 6812583. And that was interesting because the, it, the engine went wee bang or something. So because I didn't quite get that, it, it was quite repetitive for me in the morning going around all the different stalls. Yeah, so basically, you 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 lack knowledge of of history, so therefore it was boring. And there were some beautiful cars there. Those old Lotus. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and I saw them. Yeah, I saw them. They were right near the Williams stand. But again, aesthetics for me isn't isn't a major thing, you know, with with the cars. So yeah, I get I get it. A lot of them were beautiful, but you know, when people ask me, you know, what's your favorite F one livery ever? I think well, or what's the most beautiful Formula One car? I don't really care. So I think, well, what's the ones that were interesting? Well, the 7-Up car and the Jordan with a shark head on the front. Yeah, go watch the movie Grand Prix, and then you'll have a completely different appreciation for those uh, Lotus cars that you entirely skipped over. Yeah, they're all right. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> one thing I, I did you? see, one thing I did see there, there was a great stall. I know there's a couple of them that make, you know, normal household furniture out of... Uh, out of car parts so there was one there was one brilliant stand and uh, actually if i can find it i will plug it but i won't i won't die in a ditch if i can't find it um because i left the pictures uh on my wife's phone i sneaked them onto her phone so they'll be in her gallery when she flicks through there was oh there was spares from a brabham that were never used like a spare gear cog with with a watch face in the middle so you could have that on your desk you could have like a spare gear cog clock yeah, no, I, I love, I always love seeing those sorts of things on Twitter. Although I cannot fathom why you didn't take advantage of that opportunity to make it her, um, make it her home screen for her phone. Oh, wow. There's still time. She hasn't seen it. There is still time. No, unfortunately, I can't bring the photo up. My phone's decided it's run out of memory. Yeah, it's decided it's run out of memory. Oh, dear. So anyway, I cannot do that. Moving on, I briefly saw Alec McNish in the flesh myself. Um, he seemed like a very busy and popular man. And again, he was in a position I could have just gone and thrust a microphone in his face. But would he have been, you know, how would he have felt about that? Maybe he was having a hard day. I have too much empathy to be a reporter. It's not about empathy. It's about understanding that the people who are at the shows like McNish and like the Pirelli folk are there doing an actual job. You are part of that job. You are literally making their job harder by not interacting with them. <laughs> Uh, I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot to learn. Uh, Content-wise, though, the bit I did enjoy is me and Chris went around and we had uh, a look at some of the F1 cars. Uh, I might tag that audio onto a future show, onto the end of a future Wafflecast, because he was taking me through. We were actually sat looking at the cars, and, you know, he's taking me through, like, the differences. They're, these were quite recent modern ones. Um, you know, things like looking at the detail up close of the Mercedes 2016 car. And obviously, maybe they, they didn't quite give you their best aero, but you just get a look up front and you see how detailed even things like the the top of the floor are behind the side pod. And you get there's an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable amount of thought has gone into that. Yeah, well, the thing is, um, I guess they call them legality boxes or exclusion boxes. If you look at the regulations, you can draw little boxes where the engineers are allowed to play, the aero people are allowed to play. And there's not a lot of them. So the areas that they're allowed to play in tend to get really complicated and fiddly. Yeah, to the point where you wonder how much uh, difference it can make. You know, those stories where, you know, uh, an end plate comes off and the lap times don't change. Yeah, uh, I know. And that's always, it always drives the aero people nuts. But I think there are other explanations for it. But primarily because they're out there driving on a track with other cars. Okay, I'm going to give these guys a plug. 
because uh, they let me touch all the stuff, even though I said I blatantly couldn't afford any of it. Uh, they are historiccollections.com. So www.historiccollections.com in Cumbria. Check them out. Some of those, uh, that, that is not a sponsored plug or anything, just uh, just because it was a stand I liked. Uh, so, so go and check out their stuff. I think for the connoisseur, for the man who has everything, uh, there'll be stuff to find there. Uh, but yeah, it was nice to see the live shows. Um, did you see uh, the video I posted in the WhatsApp group of uh, a car doing a loop the loop? No, I did not see that. Oh, okay. I'll, I will. Uh, I will. I will send them to you. But yeah, it was a, like a little buggy thing. Eight Gs it pulled on a loop the loop, and uh, good to see all the Briscass F1 cars, all the Rallycross cars up front and up live. But what you and me would have liked to see is they did a sneak preview of the the electric GT car. The, there's going to be an electric GT racing series, uh, and yep. they, they 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 showcased that car. They brought it out, but for some reason, they blasted loud music over the the car coming out and and showing everyone. And I wondered if they thought that maybe the audience wouldn't be ready to, for that sound, or we'd feel like it's not exciting enough compared to all the petrol cars that had just been out. But personally, I was like, I want to hear the car. I want to hear what it sounds like. Um, but you probably would have just heard a lot of tire squeal. Yeah, probably just the tires and, and maybe the maybe some hum. I, I don't know. I, I'm excited about this electric GT series. It's I know it's based on a Tesla, and, and they're pretty much going to be spec cars. It's very similar to Formula E's first season. But it's good to see... Um, uh, electric motors starting to show up in different categories in series. Uh, there's another one coming too that I just saw the other day. I don't remember who it's based on. It's not a GT series though. I'm useless. Okay, Matt. Why don't we round up today's waffle with uh, your news that you brought along? Big Dirty News. Bring us some stuff, Matt. I say we've got 10, 15 minutes to shoot the breeze. Yeah, sure. So the uh, latest and biggest of news is that the World Motorsport Council will be having a meeting January 18th, which is unusual for them. But it happens to be the day after the uh, Liberty shareholders vote on whether or not to close on their acquisition of Formula One and officially change the name of their organization. So this could be um, this could be one of the final steps in the Liberty takeover of Formula One. And it's coming to you January 18th. So is it going to happen? Yes. Definitely, because I was hearing doubters in the Missed Apex Facebook group, which you can find by typing in Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. Yeah, it, and, and it's the thing where I as soon as I saw where the article was from, it was from Forbes and it was from Christian Silt who is a very plugged-in and knowledgeable writer. However, a lot of his plugged-inness comes from his access to one Bernard J. Charles Eccleston the 33rd. And so he tends to write articles <laughs> that, while factually correct, ahem, may have a bit of an editorial slant to them. And he has written, almost everything he's written has been about how it's going to be impossible for this to happen Yet I know with some clinical dissociation, pretty much all of the deadlines they put into their documents have been hit um, exactly when they said they would be. So I have I have little doubt that they will finish the remaining regulatory hurdles and get the job done. That is fake news. What you're giving me is fake news. Miss Apex is a terrible organization. Sad. Fake news. 
Yeah, yeah. Do not remind me of the Trumpocalypse, please. <laughs> Go on then, let's cheer ourselves up with a bit more F1 news. All right, so this is one that's one and done for Cedric Vasseur, who who has been at Renault and it turns out was hugely involved in recruiting Nico Hulkenberg, not least because I think Hulkenberg had driven for him before at Art, which was his uh, which was his GP2 team. Um, and he's out now. Cyril Abitable has won the political contest between the two of them. And what's interesting about that is that Vasseur's uh, bona fides were that of the 20, you know, of the 22 current drivers, eight of them have raced with him at Art at some point, including Lewis Hamilton, whom you may have heard of, Nico Rosberg, Sebastian Vettel, Valtteri Bottas, Romain Grosjean, and Hulkenberg, as I mentioned, and Esteban Gutierrez, as well as Marcus Ericsson. So Vasseur has quite an extensive and lengthy record of running a very successful team, albeit at a lower level than Formula One. Uh, Abitable, on the other hand, has a very lengthy track record of running Caterham pretty much into the ground. And yet he will be the one who's in charge. And then that said, um, he still has a lot of supporting cast that are very strong, including Bob Bell, CRN Pillbeam, Alan Permain, um, Nick Chester, Remy Taffin, Cyril Dumont. And, and the engine itself is interesting in that they are going to be running a uh, brand new architecture as well as a second generation ERS, which I think has been giving them, and you could very much see, depending on the track at the end of this season, a lot of trouble in terms of uh, generating enough energy to be competitive with Mercedes. So they might have a proper engine this year. So up in the air, but it's not good news for Hulkenberg because Vassour is one of the main reasons he wound up going to Renault. Yeah, that's a shame then. So it sounds like a very sort of popular guy being, yeah, see, there's something, is it, is his Frenchness, could that be an issue? Could that be, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of the articles used, described Abitable as quote unquote political. A political so, animal. Yeah, yeah, you can draw your own conclusions, but reading the tea leaves, it, it, it looks like uh, that he, either they disagreed strongly on the direction they should be going or that it was, um, or that it was political all the day long. So there's a lot of chat now about, uh, you know, Renault having caught up. You, you keep saying that you keep having this confidence that Renault are, are going to suddenly close the gap. And you're still thinking that for this season. Cause you know, I'll put our not money down. We're beyond that now, you and I, Matt, but we'll put like our arguing chops down to, uh, I would happily say, no, I don't see Renault on performance getting anywhere near Mercedes this year. Uh, you're still you're still optimistic. I'm optimistic that all of the power units will be closer to Mercedes in performance uh, over a single lap than they were last year. It's reliability over a race distance that will be the big unknown because the engines will be being used in a different fashion due to the it due to the extra arrow that's going to be laid onto the cars as well as the larger tires. So there's there's a lot of changes in how the power units are going to be used. Plus there's going to be five kilograms extra of fuel allowance to cover the additional speed that's being put into the cars. Just feels like to me with the extra downforce, the engines are going to be like even more important. I think the gap is going to be magnified. On lap time I'm still very confident that the Mercedes teams and the Mercedes works team in particular are going to have a, a big advantage. But Honda 
are basically starting from square one, it seems like. They're ripping up their copybook and saying, we're going to copy Mercedes layout, but, you know, how much can they copy it? How much do they know? Are they just starting basically year one again? Is this an admission that they got it completely wrong and now they're just starting again? Yeah, well, I mean, it is an admission they got it completely wrong. At the end of the first season, everyone who was in charge was kicked out the door. Um, but the big thing was is that they had gone to a size zero concept in order to allow McLaren to have the best arrow in the field. By having the smallest package, they would be able to lay the most arrow on. The problem with that is it resulted in a turbocharger being too small to successfully charge the ERS up as often as it needed to be charged up. And you would regularly see this where over a lap, it might, McLaren might look pretty good with a Force India or, you know, even with a Ferrari. But over the second lap, they would be massively down in horsepower and would just be, you know, bye bye, see you at the end of the race. This is, this is the essential problem they had. Removing the token system allowed Honda to go back and redesign their turbo and their entire engine. And they're doing it in conjunction with McLaren, the size of the engine and the packaging and everything. So McLaren will now enjoy theoretically the same sorts of benefits that Mercedes did. And my understanding is they are going to go to the split uh, turbo uh, layout uh, with the MGUH in the engine V, just like Mercedes uses. And And having a bigger turbo will solve a lot of immediate problems for them. I don't know. I think it's all bluff. I think it's all bluff coming out there. And until I see some results, I'm not willing to take even one step of enthusiasm towards the McLaren Honda chain map. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm not feeling it at all. But Van Dorn, he's in. So give me your prediction. Van Dorn to beat an aging Alonso in 2017. I think they tie on points and it will be controversial even without Ron Dennis. Fair enough. And their, their, their on-field battle will make them lose to Ferrari. Go on then, Matt. Last one. Well, no, I was going to say the big news is Van Dorn, he's not, he has actually taken his race number. Sorry about that. It's okay. Angry drivers outside my window. Um, He's actually taken his race number and his race number is indeed will be number two. That's quite a boring number. I think you should, I think you should go above 22 to sort of distinguish yourself. It's like having a squad number and picking from one to 11 in football. You've got to pick something like 85 or something like that too. That's boring. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's well, it's interesting. No one can choose number one, uh, I believe, because uh-huh. the number one driver can choose to have that on their car every season. But number two is always first loser in Formula One. So there you go. Yeah, it seems a bit unfortunate. Number two driver, uh, second best. Yeah, in fact, looking at it, it's the worst possible choice. Thanks for joining us. Any new listeners to the podcast who found us this week, uh, it was just me and Matt this week for a waffle cast, and that's what we tend to do when there's no particular big breaking news, there's no race in the off-season. We'll just sit down here and have a chat every couple of weeks. Um, in the regular season for race reviews, we are here every Sunday. We will be going for every Sunday, 8 p.m. UK time, be that GMT or, or British summertime, and we normally have about four or five guys on the panel. So it's not just me and Matt rambling on. We do have a tech time show. We have Matt Summerfield, Summers F1, who regularly comes and joins us for for a bit of tech, and Matt takes over from that because he fancies himself quite the tech man. Uh, what else do we do? We is that all? Possible comment of the week. Do you have one? 
Ooh, there were a lot of really, really good ones. And I haven't been keeping up with the chat room as much because I've been having to actually say more words than usual. <laughs> well, that's the problem, you see. Yeah, me too. So I haven't been uh, going through. So let, let's scroll through now and see if um, see see what takes us. Oh, okay. Look, this is nice what? and random. So uh, Matt Graff was agreeing with me, saying the, the Jordan with the snake head front. Yes, that was me for good liveries. Paul Wright uh, is answer, which I will give comment of the week. Comment of the week. Did they do a Wasp 2? When I saw that randomly, I thought that was worthy of comment of the week. Uh, and also, Paul Wright, I know, has contributed amusingly to the chat room this week. So, congratulations. Feel free to add one-time winner of Missed Apex. Comment of the week. To your profile. Matt, where can people find you on the internet? At MattPT55 on the internets. The Twitters in particular. And why not come and find me at www.spannersready.com. All our stuff is there. We have a team of writers at spannersready.com who push out some Formula One articles. We're going to be big. We're going to be huge in 2017 for F1 articles. Uh, So look out there. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Wafflecast. Well, I got through it even with a cold. Once again, demonstrating outstanding bravery for podcast delivery, Matt. Absolutely. You deserve an award for that. Yeah, and no, comment of the week doesn't get you a little crown next to your name, Paul. But we should come up with a prize. I mean, if we had significantly more money, we would give out a comment of the week prize. Until until then, you'll have to put up with our endearing love and respect. Indeed. Plus, the ability to assign yourself that as part of your... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.